0: I am excited about being able to preach uh, God's word. We are going to continue our uh, series on parables. Uh, I've always used the definition of a parable as uh, earthly story with a heavenly message. That's pretty simple, I can remember that. It was the way Jesus taught and it was in a very effective way in how he was able to communicate the truths of of God and the truths of of heaven to the the secular people that he was talking to. parables all throughout Scripture, and we're going to look at one today that needs no introduction. Find it in Luke chapter 2. I want to talk to you today about the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, you're sitting there going, oh, I know this story. And I'm like, well, I hope you do. For like many of us, we learned it when we were young. We know all about the Good Samaritan. I was telling the earlier service, I even remembered it being, explained using flannel boards. Now, for you millennials, ask a baby boomer what a flannel board is, but that's how it was explained to me as a child. And I love the story. And this Good Samaritan term is a term that we use now in our modern vocabulary. There are hospitals all over the country named the Good Samaritan Hospital. We're getting ready to start in a couple of weeks. Operation Christmas Child, and that's part of the Samaritan's Purse ministry. So it's a term that's used a lot because anyone who does a kind act, an act of benevolence to serve someone, oftentimes that person is referred to as a good Samaritan. So it's a parable that needs uh, no introduction. But also the flip side of that is, So many stories in God's word, we think we know so well, we just buzz right through and miss some of the promises and truth that God has for us. And in this story, Jesus is gonna tell this parable. And the reason for this parable, he's trying to demonstrate that our neighbor is not just the person who lives beside us or across the street from us. We're all part of a large neighborhood that includes many, many people. And so he's gonna show us how we can be a modern day Samaritan, how we can love our neighbor and love our neighbor well. Charles Stanley said, we certainly live in days when the spirit of the good Samaritan is needed. And I don't think there's anybody in this room that would disagree with that. With all the division going on in this country and all the negative negativity and everything else, we certainly live in a day when the spirit of the good Samaritan is needed. And the place it should be displayed is in the lives of Christians. They ought to see something different about us every day, whether it's at work, whether it's at school, whether it's in our neighborhood. They ought to see something different about us. We ought to have that spirit of the Good Samaritan that flows out in our words and in our actions. Columnist Cal Thomas said it this way, and I love it. He said, love talked about is easily ignored. Beloved, love demonstrated is irresistible. And I know that's true. When you see someone with an act of love for no reason at all but just love for that person, it leaves a mark on you. It is irresistible. So we're gonna talk about this parable. We're gonna kinda of get an understanding of the parable and then how do we apply this parable to us. So. Let's talk first about how do we understand this parable? Well, the first thing you need to understand is the context. And the context is this. A lawyer, an educated man, has come to Jesus with questions. Again, he's an attorney. He knows how to ask questions. Look at what the Bible says, verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, "Teacher." What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law, and how do you read it? And then he, being the attorney, answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Verse 29, but he being a lawyer desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So that is the context for this whole parable. This attorney, I call him the acquiring attorney. He has come to Jesus with questions. And the first question he asks is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, we all know that question is not even asked right. There's nothing you can do on your own to inherit eternal life. It is all through God and what God did for you by Jesus Christ. There's no way we can come to eternal life by being good and doing good works. It is only through Christ. So he asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answers back and says, well, what does the law say? Again, he knows this man's heart. He knows there's issues there, so he's asking a question. And the guy, being educated in the Mosaic law, answered flawlessly. He said, "You know, love your God with all your heart and soul and mind, that's Deuteronomy 6, 5, and love your neighbor, Leviticus 19, 18. And Christ says, you've answered correctly. And the attorney should have stopped right there, but he didn't. He moves on to ask another question. And And who is my neighbor? And I'm sure this man thought Jesus was going to respond with some generic answer and say, your neighbor is everyone around you. But no, not Jesus. He's too too insightful for that. He says, you want to know who your neighbor is? Let me tell you who your neighbor is. And he launches into the parable that we know as the good Samaritan. So it's important that you understand the context. This man has come and asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then he asks the second question, who is my neighbor? And so Christ says, all right, I'm gonna explain who your neighbor is. And that's when he launches into the parable. So the first part of this parable, we see a Jew, a Jew who was crushed. Look at what the Bible says in, in verse 30. Jesus replied, This man just asked, who's my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So let me give you a little bit of background on what's going on here. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a road that was traveled often. It's 17 miles in distance and it drops 3,000 feet from one part to the other part. Surrounded by rocks, cliffs, caves, places to hide. It was also a very, very dangerous road. In fact, the locals called it the way of blood because people oftentimes were robbed as they traveled this road. And sure enough, there's a man who's traveled the road. Now, we don't know if he's a Jew. We don't know that. The Bible doesn't say that, but Jesus is talking to a Jew and he's talking to a Jewish audience. So odds are this was a Jew who's traveling down this road and he comes in contact with some immoral robbers who attack this man, rob him, beat him, leave him on the side of the road, half dead. This man needs help. And what you see in these robbers, this first attitude I wanna highlight is this attitude is what is yours is mine and I'll take it. And that's the attitude that I see oftentimes in our world today. May not be asked that or say to that bluntly, but how many times have you seen people who ask the question, "Well, well, what's in it for me? What do I gain from this? How does this help me? How does this benefit me? It's all about me. We live in such a self-centered society. It's all about me. I even see it in churches as they bounce around from church to church trying to figure out, well, what does this church have to offer for me and for my family? What, What are you giving me? What do you have to give me? We need to stop asking that question. We need to stop asking what your church can do for you and start asking the question, what can you do for your neighbors and what can you do for those who are far from Christ and what can you do for the cause of Christ? That's the question we need to be asking. So these these robbers, they beat this man. They leave him half dead. They had this attitude, what is yours is mine and I'll take it. Well, the story continues. As we go to the next two verses, Looking at the religious who condemns, and I'll explain that. Beginning in verse 31. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, he came to the place and saw him, and he passed on the other side. So understand, Think for a second. Here are the, the religious elite of the Jewish nation, a priest and a Levite. The priest comes first, sees the man on the side of the road, and goes to the other side. Now, now stop and think for a second as you look at these indifferent in religious leaders. Just think for a second. This priest has been offering sacrifices in the temple all day for people coming in wanting forgiveness. But he's offered sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, and now he's going home. And he's got time, He has time now to do a self-sacrifice, and he chooses not to. He goes to the other side. Indifferent. And then here comes the Levite. You say, well, who was the Levite? A Levite was part of the tribe of Levi, and they took care of the daily needs of the temple. Same thing, as he travels down this road, he sees this man dying maybe, half dead, beaten, obviously in need of help, and what does he do? Doesn't even stop, goes to the other side, continues on his journey. Now I'm sure, I don't know this, but I'm sure both men, when they saw this injured Jew, and they being fellow Jews, they probably had a a reason why they couldn't get involved. You know, I, I, I got a busy schedule. I just left, I'm going home. Uh, my wife's expecting me. but I, I'm sure they had some sort of reason that they justified themselves to not stop and help this man. And that's the attitude that we see in these guys. What is mine is mine, and I'll keep it. You know, when it comes to loving our neighbor, when it comes to loving other people, especially those who are in need, I hope and pray we do not have this kind of attitude. You know, this is something I had to learn um, early in ministry. You know, I came from 20 years in corporate America, Fortune 500 companies, and all about drive and advancing my career, blah, 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 all that. And then the Lord called me into ministry. And I came into ministry kind of with that same work ethic uh, where you know, drive, drive, get all, put down your list of all the things you need to get done. I learned early in ministry, that doesn't always work out because people just show up, you know. And with this attitude of what is mine is mine and I'll keep it, it doesn't work in ministry. I had to learn early that people are more important than tasks. Did you hear me? I don't care how busy your schedule is, and what you may think is important, what's busy are people and the souls of lost people. That's what's important. And we need to get away from being so self-centered and think about, all me, 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 and I'm going to keep what is mine, I'm going to keep it. No. These religious leaders chose not to get involved, and we cannot be like that. We have to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So there's this Jew who was crushed and these religious leaders who condemn by being indifferent, by not doing anything to help this man. Well, the story continues and we come to the Samaritan. The Samaritan who cares. Let me share those verses with you. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, he being the injured man. When he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So Jesus, as he tells this parable, he's got the interest of everybody. A Jewish man is injured. Two Jewish leaders come by, do nothing. And now he brings a very surprise ending to the story. He says, a Samaritan stops to help. Now, again, you need to understand the context. Samaritans were hated by Jews. See, it all started back in the Old Testament when the Assyrians captured the northern kingdom and took many of them back. Those that left, those living in Samaria, they began to marry pagan wives and adopted pagan religions and and, and even carried on to when Nehemiah was rebuilding the wall, it was the Samaritans that were attacking, trying to stop that. So these Jews hated Samaritans. They considered them half-breeds. Yeah, they are maybe Jewish at one time, but now they have married all these uh, people that are pagans and and they're half-breeds. They have caused harm to the Jewish faith. And to say that they disliked is not even close to being strong enough. They hated Samaritans. Jews thought Samaritans were the worst humans, had no dealings with them. In fact, if you know your geography of the Holy Land in Jesus' time, It was Judea, then Samaria, then Galilee. There's three regions. And when someone left Judea to go to Galilee, they wouldn't go through Samaria. They'd cross over to the Jordan River and go up on the other side of the Jordan River and then cross back to get to Galilee or vice versa. Again, there is such hatred that Jews have for Samaritans. And and again, Jesus and his brilliance Two leaders, two religious Jewish leaders do nothing. Here comes a Samaritan. Why he's on that road, I don't know, but here comes a Samaritan, and what does he do? He stops, and he gives help. And and as I think about this Samaritan, I I don't even like the term good Samaritan. This man was simply incredible in what he does. I'm gonna call him the incredible Samaritan. Because when you stop for a second and think about what this man does, you walk away saying, truly, he is incredible. And I want to give you four things real quick. I want you to see the divine love that he had for this Jewish stranger, a man he did not know. The Bible says he had compassion on him. That compassion is a Greek word that's kind of like a gut-wrenching feeling that you have for someone, someone in need, and, and your heart goes out to them, and you have to act on it. That's what he had when he saw this Jewish man in need. And and stop and think for a second. That Samaritan was willing to cross social barriers to care for this Jewish stranger. So I want you to see this divine love that he had. He also had a very practical love because he just didn't look at him and say a prayer and then move on. The Bible says he got down and he applied first aid. And I want you to notice what it says when it, it says he bandaged his wounds. And that doesn't give you enough detail there. I want you to understand what's going on here. First of all, he takes his oil and his wine and pours over all the man's wounds. Now, now listen, the Bible says he doesn't take water. I'm sure he had water with him. But he, he offered his best. He poured oil and he poured wine on this man's wounds to give him the care that he needed. And then the Bible says he also put bandages on him. Now he wasn't carrying around big giant case of Band-Aids. He took his clothes and he ripped them up to make bandages to put on this man. I mean, just an incredible love. And the whole time he's doing this, understand he is on the way of blood, the most dangerous road. There's probably robbers watching him. With all this stuff he's bringing out to help this man. But he didn't care about that. He was willing to take the risk to help this man in need. So he had a practical love. He also had a very uncomfortable love. The Bible says he took him to the end. Now, again, let's stop and think about that for a second. There's a lot more to that. So he applies first aid offering his oil, his wine, his clothes to bandage this man the best he could. Then the Bible says he puts him on his animal. We don't know if if it was just one, a donkey that this man was riding or whatever, but he puts this man on the animal and then he leads him, I don't know how far, leads him to an end. And see this, he just didn't leave. The Bible says he left the next day. So he stood there that day and that night in that end, caring for this Jew. You see, this man was willing to set aside his travel schedule, take a detour that he was not planning to take, and delay his trip to care for a stranger. Wow. So see this uncomfortable love, and then see this unselfish love that he has. The Bible says he paid for his care. Again, more to it than just that. The Samaritan gives the innkeeper two denarii. That's two days wage, two days' wages he gives to this innkeeper. Now stop right there. I'm not sure this Samaritan even knew who that innkeeper was. So now not only is he helping a stranger, he's given money to a stranger. A money that he may never see again, may never be used for what he wanted to be used for. But he gives two denarii, says, sir, I gotta go, I've been with him all night, he still needs some care, please take care of him. And whatever you spend on cost to care for him, when I come back, if it's more, I will repay you. In fact, I'll just kind of give you my open check and you do what you need to do. And when I see that, wow, what an attitude he had, the Samaritan. See, his attitude was, what's mine is yours. And I'll share it. And he truly is Amazing. His acts of kindness to a stranger, wow, it convicted me. Christians should and need to be the most generous people who are willing to share and reach out to others in the love for Christ. I know some of you do, but I know also some of you, like I have had in my past, kind of have a calloused heart you seen so much, hard heart. You see somebody in need and sometimes you say, well, you know, they wouldn't have made the decisions they made in their life or they wouldn't have done this. They wouldn't be in this position. That is not an attitude of a Christian. I've had to confess that. We need to have compassion. We need to reach out in love to help those. This Samaritan gives us a beautiful illustration of how to love your neighbor So Christ tells this parable. Everybody's listened, brought in this surprise ending with the Samaritan and then Christ picks back up his personal conversation with this lawyer as we get to the last part, the Savior who commissions. Looking at verses 36 and 37. So Jesus, talking to this inquiring attorney, this attorney who asked the question, just who is my neighbor? Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Verse 37, he being the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So Jesus confronts this man just in a genius way. As he asked him, who, who proved to be the most neighborly? Who was who the neighbor of the three that loved this man? And notice how the lawyer answered the question. He said, the one. He couldn't even say the word Samaritan. Didn't want to say the word. Again, the parable is shining a light on his heart, a mirror that he can see the, the prejudice in his heart, the self-centeredness in his heart, self-righteousness of him. Again, God is using the parable to bring that out. He could not even say the word Samaritan. He said the one who proved to be a neighbor. And then Christ sends him. Immediate action. Now that you understand what it means, now that you understand who your neighbor is, go. Go and be merciful like that Samaritan. Do the things that he did. Wow. Just a simple parable, but a powerful parable. Well, the question is, well, now it's 2,000 years later. What does that mean for me? So what? It's a good story, story I've known in my life. How does it apply to me? How can this parable make a difference in my life? Well, I want to talk to you about three things. Three things real quickly. Learn to be neighborly, how you love neighborly, and how you live neighborly. So we're going to walk through each of those as we, first of all, learn what it means to be neighborly. Give you four things. Number one, we are not to ask who our neighbor is. We are to be a neighbor. Now listen, someone may, new may move into your neighborhood or may move into your school or a new employee. The Bible says you don't need to do your home, homework and try to figure out who, this, who is this person, who is this. No, just go, go to them immediately. Be Christ. Don't ask who your neighbor is, be a neighbor. When you see someone in need, when you see someone new, you just go up to them and you be that neighbor. That's what it means to learn to be neighborly. A neighbor does not ask, how far do I have to go? A neighbor asks, what can I do? And when I stop and think about this Samaritan and I think about all that he did. You know, he comes up, he's the only one that stopped He's the only one that stood down, set, set, kind of got on his knees and applied first aid using his oil, his wine, his clothes. Listen, he could have stopped right there. This road has traveled a lot. Somebody else can come by and take, get this man and maybe take him back home. No, he didn't, he didn't stop there. He put him on his animal. He took him to the inn. He cared for him. He paid money for someone else to care for him. He went over and beyond duty, because a neighbor does not ask how far do I have to go, a neighbor asks what can I do? And that's how we need to be as Christians. The third thing, my neighbor is not the person across the street or sits beside me at lunch, my neighbor is anyone with a legitimate need that I know about for which God has given me the resources to meet that need. That's who my neighbor is. And if you're going to learn to be neighborly, Serving my neighbors means not asking first who they are and what is their relationship to me. Be a neighbor. Learn to be neighborly. But also it's important that you love neighborly. Let me just give you a couple things on that that I see from this parable. First of all, neighborly love shows that we love God. When people see us and they see us loving and loving well and serving and serving well and helping those who are far from Christ or those who are in need, what they see is the love of Christ coming out in us. The Bible says if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the fruit of that Spirit is what? Love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, all those things. But love is what they need to see. Paul said the greatest of these is love. They need to see love coming out of us because it shows that we love God. And also, neighborly love, transcends boundaries of race and religion and social status. This man walking down the road sees a Jew. He's a Samaritan. They hate each other. No, he doesn't go to the other side. He goes to help because love, neighborly love transcends race, religion, social status. Doesn't matter what the person looks like. Doesn't matter what he believes. Doesn't matter what kind of job he has or if he has no job at all. The Bible says if there is a need, neighborly love transcends those boundaries. And then number three, neighborly love sets aside personal schedules to serve others. And as I get older, perhaps a little wiser, I begin to realize one thing. My generation, the most valuable resource, I think, was money. But as we continue on with these other generations, I've come to realize the most valuable resource that people have is not money anymore. It's time. It's their time. And a neighborly love is willing to set aside personal schedules. All the to-do things that you have to do that you think are so important. A neighbor puts those aside when he sees someone in need. I mean, again, what is more important, your daily list, to-do list, or someone who is in need? Again, this parable preaches to me. Probably a lot more than I just preaching to you. I know, I don't like my schedule to be messed up. I know some of you are like that too. And sometimes, you know what? Helping a brother in need, a sister in need, it's gonna be an inconvenience. And that's okay. We have to learn to set aside our personal schedules, thinking all that we have to do is so important so that we can serve and love others. And then number four, neighborly love is a sacrifice of self with nothing expected in return. And as I think about this parable, I'm sure, I'm sure these people never saw each other again. And this Samaritan does this incredible act of kindness and care and love to this man they probably never ever saw again. Not even sure if the man even knew it was a Samaritan. The may have told him, but we don't know that either. But you know what, he wasn't doing it to get something in return. He was doing it because of the love he had and the compassion he had for this man who was injured. That's how we need to be as Christians. We don't need to love someone and expect something in return, a favor or whatever. No, no, just love. When someone is in hurting, someone is in need, be that good Samaritan. Offer them the love they need. It's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice of self with nothing expected in return. So you gotta learn to be neighborly. You gotta love neighborly. And lastly, you gotta live neighborly. Let me give you four quick things on that. First thing is you need to be considerate. See the needs and problems of neighbors. And I know people who do a really good job with that. And I, I wasn't gonna do this, but Tina Grayson, I see you right there. She does an incredible job with this. She just seems to have a network and when someone is in need, Tina's there to help. We, we, need, to, we need to get our eyes off ourselves and all the things going on with me and get our eyes out there to see where is the need? Where, is the, where are the people who are hurting? We're the people who are far from Christ. who need someone to love on them. We need to see these needs and problems of our neighbors. So we need to be considerate. Get your eyes off yourself. Be convenient. Be willing to be inconvenienced for your neighbors. Again, some of us do not like our schedules to get messed up, but it's okay. Be willing to be inconvenienced. Be available for God to use. He may put someone in your pathway and you are going to be the only person who can be Jesus to that person. So be considerate, be convenient, be compassionate, feel the needs of neighbors and act on it. And I think, again, I, I struggled with this. I, when I first came in the ministry, like I said, I, I had kind of a calloused heart. I always thought there was a reason why people were in the situations that they were in. I can't think like that anymore. A Christian shouldn't think like that. A Christian should show the love of Christ. The Samaritan didn't stop and look around, try to see if there was any robbers. He immediately went to action and began to care for this Jew, a a Jewish stranger that he did not know. That's what compassion is. Feel the needs of your neighbors and act on it. And then be Christ-like. Just be Christ-like. Be willing to sacrifice your time and your resources to help someone in need. I mean, stop and think about it. Jesus Christ sacrificed himself for you. We ought to have that kind of sacrificial love for those who are in need. Again, a very simple parable and a very profound, profound message. You know, as I wrap up this Message I, as I think about the Samaritan. Again, incredible is the word I keep coming up with. I mean, truly incredible what he does. But as I think about it more, what a picture of Jesus Christ he is for us. And I, this is not in your notes, so you just follow along with me. I add this up here. Jesus is the good Samaritan, Jesus Christ is the good neighbor, and his example is the one to imitate. He saw a world of sinners, robbed of their potential, stripped of their spiritual needs, wounded by sins, unable to rise by themselves from their beaten state. He came down to where sinners are and gave mankind a corresponding act of mercy seen in the Good Samaritan. Through his death and resurrection, he covers our nakedness, he binds up our wounds, and he heals us and puts us in the safety of his church and provides for our physical and our spiritual needs. That's the ultimate good Samaritan, Jesus Christ, because that's what he's done for you. That's what he's done for me. You know, in closing, my prayer is that you will one day, and I hope it starts today, be that modern day Good Samaritan in the way you act with others, the way you talk with others. I pray that you'll have the actions of that Good Samaritan and you will do whatever needs to be done to love your neighbor and to love them well. Someone said, life's road always has two sides. On the other side, you will get to Jericho in a hurry. On the victim's side, you will get into detours and delays. On the other side are pavements and promises. On the victim's side are potholes and problems. On the other side is success. On the victim side is sacrifice. On the other side, you insist on your rights. On the victim side, you accept responsibilities. On the other side, you embrace someone who succeeds. On the victim side, you embrace someone who fails. On the other side, you count the offering. On the victim side, You count the cost. On the other side, you can make a good living. On the victim's side, you can make a good life. On which side of the road do you live and work? You know, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that Jesus Christ left the other side. He left the glory and splendor of heaven, put on the robe of humanity, and came to the victim's side to save me, to save me and you from death and from hell. That's what Jesus Christ did for you. Aren't you glad he left and went to the victim's side? I know I am. I can't imagine my life without Christ. He, I, was that, I was that injured Jew, beaten, by this world, wounded by this world, unable to get up and do anything with my life. And it was Christ who came in my life and made the difference. And he can do that for you today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for just simple, simple parable. But a parable that is so powerful. Father, I pray, starting today, that we'll be that modern day good Samaritan. Father, that we will learn to be neighborly, that we will live neighborly, that we will love neighborly. And Father, thank you. Thank you that you are the good Samaritan who came to rescue us from death and from hell. And we just praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's move that now to a time of invitation. I'm looking around.